If you'd like to spend some time with real people with a real heart for God, we welcome you to visit us at Harvest Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Our Sunday morning services are held at 1030, and our Family Night Fellowship takes place on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Come experience God's awesome, life-changing power as we worship in His presence, fellowship with one another, commit to discipleship, and share God's love through evangelism. For more information or directions, visit HarvestNova.com. That's HarvestNova.com. Matthew chapter 16, begin reading at verse number 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. The title of my message today is The Way of the Cross. The Way of the Cross. Uh, We are shifting our emphasis now as we look toward the uh, events uh, coming up, Palm Sunday, uh, Good Friday, Resurrection Day. And verse 21 tells us that that's what Jesus was doing. It says that at the time of this passage, Jesus began to tell his disciples about his impending suffering, death, and resurrection. This represents a turning point in his ministry uh, as he will now focus less on the crowds and more on his 12 disciples, preparing them for what is to come. In so doing, Jesus urges his disciples, and by extension, you and me today, to follow him by taking the way of the cross. The way of the cross. And I'm going to share what Jesus meant by that as we go on through this message. As a matter of fact, the question I want to answer in this message today is what must we understand to follow Jesus by taking the way of the cross? What must we understand to follow Jesus by taking the way of the cross? The first thing we need to understand is the difference between the things of God and the things of men. The difference between the things of God and the things of men. Jesus, as I indicated, is now focusing on his disciples and he explains the nature and the necessity of his earthly mission. He said he, quote, must go to Jerusalem 
and suffer at the hands of the religious leaders who by now hate, hated him passionately. And he, quote, must be killed and then raised to life. This was shocking to his disciples who, like the crowds at large, saw him not as a suffering Messiah, but as a political savior, the one who would free Israel from, from its bondage to Rome. But this was Jesus' mission all along. And so he begins to explain that to his disciples. And then one of his disciples objects. Guess who? Good old Peter. Peter, presumably speaking for all the disciples, objects to this statement of Jesus' impending suffering. Now, this is unusual because within Jewish master-disciple relationships, it was unthinkable that a disciple would correct his master, let alone, quote-unquote, rebuke him, as Peter does here. When Peter says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you, the verbiage used in the original Greek is of the strongest possible nature. It's almost as if he's angry and rebuking the Lord. This will never happen to you. It's as if he's saying, this will never happen to you, not on my watch. Okay? So Peter is very strongly objecting to what the Lord is sharing. Jesus, in turn, then rebukes Peter with some strong language of his own. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. Now, if the Lord and Master calls you Satan, I would say that's strong language, wouldn't you? Shortly after the beginning of his ministry, Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. We know about this. And he overcame that temptation. Now, he recognizes that this current opposition to his mission, even though it comes from one of his own disciples as an expression of concern, is the work of Satan nevertheless. A stumbling block is an obstacle in one's path, but it becomes a metaphor for something that causes a person to sin or falter in one's faith. And saying that Peter does not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men, Jesus is drawing a clear distinction uh, between God's ways, God's plans, and the ways and plans of human beings. It says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There is a clear distinction between the things of God and the things of men. And Jesus is saying, Peter, you have in mind only the things of men, not the things of God. When I was a boy, I used to play with something called Silly Putty. Do you remember still Silly Putty, some of you? Some of you can Google it. <laughs> I don't, do they still make it? I don't know. You can do a lot of neat things with it. You can make shapes. You could shape it into a ball and bounce it. But one of the really cool things you could do with Silly Putty, it, just, it came in this little egg, I think, or something. You could flatten it out and press it against the Sunday comics. That's when people actually bought newspapers. And you could, and you could pick it, and it would uh, copy the comics onto your Silly Putty. Now, this was a long time ago, so we didn't have the internet and smartphones. We thought this was really cool, you know. And, and uh, you, you know, so you can make a copy of the newsprint, the comics. 
But our minds are like that. Uh, they pick up everything. Everything that's pressed against them. And, and, and if we exclusively expose our minds to the things of this world, they will get filled with man's thoughts and man's desires. Now, I know we live in the world. And we can't avoid thinking about things in the world. But if we exclusively focus on the things of this world, the things of men, uh, then that's going to occupy our thoughts. When uh, we pray and meditate upon God's word, our minds are pointed toward God. Our, our, uh, our hearts and minds are cleansed and we're filled with the mind of Christ. And Peter, although he expressed his uh, objection in the form of concern, as Jesus said, had in mind the things of men, he was not getting the message that Jesus said, this is my mission, this is what I was called to do. And when we focus exclusively on the things of men uh, to, to the uh, uh, avoidance of the things of God, we have an earthly perspective that is not fixed on what God wants us to be focused on. Very, very important. On one occasion, I approached someone in our church about becoming a nominee for the office of deacon. And this person shared with me that uh, they had in mind a plan uh, in about a year and a half or so from that time to move away and retire. But at the altar, here at the altar, that very morning that I approached them, they felt God speaking to them and saying that uh, their timetable for retirement was not necessarily God's timetable. And they interpreted that as a go-ahead from God to become a nominee. That's having uh, the things of God as a priority rather than the things of men. Uh, there has always been and there will always be a very real difference between the things of God and the things of men. When we bathe our spirits in God's word and in his presence through prayer, we begin to take on more of the mind of Christ and less uh, of the mind of man. We look at things differently. Those of us who are committed to following Jesus on the way of the cross, hear me this morning, if we're committed to following Jesus on the way of the cross, we must filter every thought, every plan, every wish, every desire through the prism of God's will. This will affect our relationships, how we spend our time and our money, our attitudes toward the church and ministry, our life decisions, even the media we consume. It will affect everything. Everything. My prayer today is, Lord, give us the mind of Christ. Help us to prioritize the things of God rather than the things of men. Church, we are in the world, but not of it. Amen? Let's not be like Peter in this instance and have in mind only the things of men, only earthly concerns. God, give us the mind of Christ. God, help us prioritize the things of God over the things of men. And let me tell you something. When we do that, it's going to make a difference in how we live. And we need to understand that if we're to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. Only you can assess and evaluate how much you have in mind the things of God versus the things of men. Those who prioritize the things of God will look at everything differently than those who prioritize the things of men. 
we must understand the difference. What's the second thing we need to understand uh, to follow Jesus by taking the way of the cross? We need to understand the necessity of denying oneself and taking up one's cross. Jesus talked here uh, saying, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Crucifixion, as you probably know, was the most gruesome and painful way to be executed in Jesus' day. It was designed by the Romans to be a slow, torturous death, and it would soon be Jesus' fate. And I won't describe all the details of it. You've heard it, many of you. But it was designed to be, and effectively was, a slow and torturous death. And as I said, Jesus would soon be facing that. But in what have, must have shocked his disciples, Jesus here uses crucifixion as an image of discipleship. Now, while modern society uses the bearing of one's cross as a metaphor for enduring some personal hardship or life's cruel fate, as used here by Jesus, the cross has a much more profound significance. One must die to his or her own will and submit to God's will. Jesus is saying that this is, hear me now, Jesus is saying this is the only path to discipleship. It involves the negative, denying oneself, a person's own will for his or her own life. It involves the positive, taking up the cross, accepting God's will. And it involves following Jesus, putting it into practice. Then Jesus talked about saving or losing one's life. He said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus here is saying that whoever tries to hang on to his own life and his own will will reject what God desires for him ultimately and loses eternally all that he's attempting to protect in this life. But one who lets loose of his own self-centered desires and accepts God's will for him discovers true life. Losing one's life to Jesus means surrendering one's will and, even, and, and discovering God's will as the central driving force in one's life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So, in an attempt to preserve all uh, that we have in this earthly life, we end up ultimately losing everything. But if we willingly surrender our lives to him, we gain it all. Amen? Jesus then talked about the value of a soul. He said, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? All the physical riches, pleasures, and powers of this world will do no one any ultimate good if one forfeits his spiritual existence. The acquisition of all this world has to offer can't match the riches of finding true life and submitting to God's will. I like this quote from a man named Michael J. Wilkins. He said, at the end of this life, we are all measured by the health of our souls, not the wealth of our estates. Isn't that true? In Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, 
Paul sets forth the comparative value of his old life and the religious establishment of Israel versus the life he found in his discipleship to Jesus. He said, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. One day a preacher in the Philippine Islands was passing a large church on Good Friday when he spotted a number of individuals selling incense, candles, veils, and, and rosaries outside the church. He also saw several small boys who were running about selling crosses. He heard them calling, crosses, cheap crosses for sale, buy a cheap cross. You know, I'm afraid too often we want a cheap cross. A faith that is easy, that's all sweetness and light, and one that makes no demands on our time or our money or our service. Can I tell you something? The cross of Christ was not a cheap cross. It was an old rugged cross, but it wasn't a cheap cross. Jesus gave up his throne and glory to come and live in this world of sin, and he gave his life on a cross to ransom us from our sins. It cost Jesus everything. And there are no cheap crosses for you and me either. Taking up your cross, hear me church, taking up your cross will cost you everything. Everything. I like what the late Billy Graham said. He said, when Jesus said, if you are going to follow me, you have to take up a cross, it was the same as saying, come and bring your electric chair with you. Take up the gas chamber and follow me. He did not have a beautiful gold cross in mind, the cross on a church steeple or on the front of your Bible. Jesus had in mind a place of execution. Take up your cross. Denying oneself and taking up one's cross is not optional for the disciple of Jesus. I'll say that again. Denying oneself and taking up one's cross is not optional for the disciple of Jesus. Jesus said that anyone who would follow him must do both. Calling oneself a disciple of Jesus without dying to self is like calling oneself a vegetarian and regularly eating meat. You're one in name only. And yet, we often persist in this notion of having everything our way and feeling entitled to never having to experience hardship or disappointment and still calling ourselves Jesus' disciples. Following Jesus consists of denying ourselves and taking up our cross. We can't pursue him without taking the way of the cross. We can't. We can't. Have you taken up your cross? Have you denied self? Taken up your cross and said, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever it takes me. What's the third thing we need to understand to follow Jesus by taking the way of the cross. It's this, that the coming accounting of our lives, we need to understand the coming accounting of our lives and the urgency of the decision. Jesus spoke here about reward. He said, for the Son of Man is going to come 
in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. When Christ returns, or when one dies, if one's death precedes his return, we must all give account of whether or not we have taken up our cross to follow Jesus. His coming means judgment for those who have not taken up their cross and reward for those who have. That's the universal teaching of Scripture. And then Jesus says something that has been puzzling to scholars, but I believe I can share some truth from it with you. He then said, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. As I said, this has been difficult to interpret for many scholars. But most feel that Jesus here is narrowing his time frame from his ultimate return to his transfiguration, which would take place six days after the events of this passage. In the transfiguration, the inner divine glory of Jesus would be displayed in its shining brilliance to Peter, James, and John on a mountaintop. While it may seem strange to say that some who are standing here will not taste death in reference to uh, three disciples who will witness the transfiguration in a mere six days, we must remember Jesus is calling for an urgent response to his kingdom mission, which will lead to the cross. In other words, Jesus is saying to the twelve disciples that they must carefully weigh whether or not they have truly taken up their cross because judgment is sooner than they think. They must not delay the taking up of their cross. A lady came to a man named Dr. Chalmers. said, Doctor, I cannot bring my child to Christ. I've talked and talked, but it's of no use. The doctor said, well, why don't you stop and let me talk to her alone? So when the doctor got the girl alone, he said to her, uh, you're being bothered a good deal about this question. Now, suppose I just tell your mother you don't want to be talked to anymore about this subject for a year. How will that do? Well, the little girl hesitated. She said uh, she didn't think it would be safe to wait for a year. Something might turn up. She might die before then. Well, that's true, replied the doctor, but suppose we say six months. No one will talk to you about this for six months. She didn't even think that would be safe. Well, that's, that's so, the doctor said. Well, why don't we just say three months? Nobody will bother you about this thing of accepting Christ for the next three months. After a little hesitation, the little girl uh, said, you know, I don't think it would be safe to even put it off for three months. I don't think it would be safe to put it off at all. So the next thing that happened was the two of them got down on their knees and he led her to Christ. This little girl, although she had been hesitant, she'd been raised in church, and she knew enough to know that time is of the essence. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. Former U.S. Secretary of Defense Donald Rumsfeld used to talk, some of you may remember, in his press conferences about known unknowns and unknown unknowns. Known unknowns referred to things we know that we, we, things we know we don't know, and unknown unknowns referred to things we don't even know that we don't know. You with me? 
He was speaking, of course, in the context of national defense. But some of his terminology can be applied to life in general. I submit to you that two known unknowns in life, things that we know we don't know, are when any of us will die and when Jesus will return. Either of those events can usher us into eternity. And so the decision about whether or not to go the way of the cross, if it was urgent for Jesus' original disciples, how much more urgent is it for you and me who live under the threat of death every day and are 2,000 years closer to Jesus' return than they were? Don't put off the decision about whether or not to be a disciple of Jesus, about whether or not to go the way of the cross. There is no more important decision in life and no more important time than now. In conclusion this morning, we ask the question, what must we understand to follow Jesus by taking the way of the cross? We said, first of all, we need to understand the difference between the things of God and the things of men. What are we focused on today? Yes, we have to deal with the things of this life, but are we focused exclusively on the things of men? Or do we have a mind that prioritizes the things of God, that filters every thought, every plan, every agenda, every decision through the will of God? Prioritizing the things of God. Secondly, we said we need to understand the necessity of denying oneself and taking up one's cross. Jesus said, anyone who would be my disciple must, must, must deny himself and take up his cross, take up the instrument of death. It's the only way to be a disciple. Thirdly, we said we need to understand that the, the coming accounting of our lives and the urgency of the decision. Every one of us will give an account of our lives. That's the word of God, church. And none of us is promised tomorrow. Pastor Tim, that's morbid. Pastor Tim, that's gruesome. Well, I prefer to think of it as reality. Right? Am I right? We need to understand that there's a coming and accounting of our lives and the urgency of our decision. I want to close today by making an appeal to three groups of people. The first group is those who have never made the decision to receive Christ as your Savior. I don't assume just because we're in church or just because someone's tuning in that they've made that decision. If you've never made the decision to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to say this to you. Don't put off the, this most important decision until another day. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 2 that now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. As I said earlier, none of us are promised tomorrow. Yes, to follow Jesus is to go the way of the cross, to die to your own desires and to follow his will for your life. But it will bring you eternal life a life of meaning, a life of fulfillment. Jesus went to a literal cross for you 
And he calls you to follow him on the way of the cross. Don't put off making a decision to receive Christ. I also want to issue an appeal to those who have received Christ, but struggle with denying yourself and making God's will the driving force in your life. I want to respectfully say this. Stop trying to follow Jesus from a distance. Stop trying to live the Christian life according to your own agenda. That has never worked and it never will. Come to terms with dying to self and following the way of the cross. As Jesus said, it's the only way to truly be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I respectfully ask this morning, what areas of your life do you need to surrender to his will today? You know what they are. You may have pressed them down a little bit into your subconscious, but we all know what they are. What areas do you need to surrender to his will today? Follow the way of the cross. Third appeal I want to issue is to those who are committed to following the way of the cross. I want to urge you to make it your mission to lead every person you can to becoming a disciple of Christ. Have a sense of urgency about winning the loss for Jesus. Time is of the essence. Amen? As we enter into the season of commemorating the world-changing events of 2,000 years ago, the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem, the crucifixion and Christ's resurrection. Let us all commit or recommit to following the way of the cross. There is truly no other way to go.